this morning. May your spirit work mightily as he preaches, and may you speak to us as your word penetrates deep into our souls this morning. We pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Please remain standing as we look at Jonah chapter 1 this morning. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Mike, it's good to be with everyone today. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna move this a little bit. 
I did a, a preaching internship with Chase last year, and I'd, I'd come in here and preach. He'd sit right here where Brandon West is, and I'd, I'd preach up here. And, and before I preached, I would always stretch. And he'd be like, what are you doing? Like, well, I got to stretch before I preach, Chase. You know, I don't want to pull something. And he was like, what? Maybe that's what I need to do is I need to start stretching before I preach. He's like, I don't know, Chase. You're already, you're already killing it, right? We don't want to too much. But, uh, but sometimes I move. And so I just got to move some stuff away. What a privilege it is to look at God's word together, isn't it? Jonah is one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible because we see so much of his humanity. We see so much of his sin, so much of his hardness. And I think if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, I relate well to that. I, I, I see the hardness of my own heart at times, and I, uh, it resonates with me as I see it in Jonah. So we're going to look today at the book of Jonah, specifically Jonah 1 mostly, and we're going to see God's relentless pursuit. As I think of things that pursue relentlessly, there's one thing that comes to mind more than any other, one thing that, that strikes terror into my heart as I think about it. It's my two-year-old daughter. She pursues little animals relentlessly. Older people, have you, do you remember Animaniacs? And that little girl on Animaniacs who, who she was like, well, what, was her, what was her phrase? I want to I love you and squeeze you and hug you and like, love you to death or something. I don't know. She like squeezed the animals, her eyes would bulge out. That's my daughter. That's my two-year-old. And we got this cat that we let inside, which is a miracle because I'm a farm boy and animals stay outside in the barn. But we let a cat in our house, and this girl chases that cat relentlessly. It's common to see the cat go flying through the kitchen, and Penny, two years old, chasing after her. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And she'll look at me, and she'll be like, Dad, the cat went over there. I was like, yeah, it, it did. She's like, the cat loves me, Dad. She's two. She's a little delusional. But she's relentless in her pursuit of that cat. We let the chickens out the other day, and all of a sudden I realized how big a mistake that was. Pretty soon, there goes Penny. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And the squeal, the scream in her voice when she finally caught that chicken, she's holding it. Dad, I caught a chicken. I caught a chicken. I caught a chicken. And the whole time, the chicken's wiggling and fighting and and there was a point where I thought for sure she was going to hold on to the head and the body was going to run away. This is going to be so bad. And so pray for our animals. Um, relentless. Her relentlessness is misguided. God's is not. Her relentlessness is curbed by her father saying, put down the chicken. God's relentlessness is not curved. God's pursuit of sinners is relentless. We're gonna, I'm gonna show my hand a little bit today. We're gonna, we're gonna look at Jonah 1. <clears throat> Here's the three main points ish. I'm gonna give it to you all up front so you can catch them. The first one is God pursues sinners. The second one is God pursues relentlessly. And the third point is God does not pursue eternally. There's an end to his pursuits. There's a time when we cannot come 
to the Lord any longer. We saw that in our scripture reading from earlier in 2 Peter, right? The day of the Lord is coming. There's a time, there's a time when repentance is no longer an option. So it's not an eternal pursuit of us, but it is a relentless pursuit of sinners. So let's open up the Bible. Let's open up to Jonah chapter 1. We're just going to dive in and we're going to stop as we go and then we're going to keep going, okay? Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Let's stop right there. This is, this is common, a common literary indicator that the word of the God is coming to a prophet. We know Jonah's a prophet. We know he's a prophet because 2 Kings tells us he's a prophet. 2 Kings not only tells us that Jonah's a prophet, but it gives us the sign of his prophetic office. Remember the sign of a true prophet is that, is that he speaks the word of the Lord and then it comes to pass? 2 Kings 14 tells us that in verse 25. It says, it says let's, just, let's just look there really fast because it's so important that we understand that Jonah is a prophet. 2 Kings 14 verse 25 says, He, the Lord, restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he, God, spoke by his God's servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, same guy, the prophet. So 2 Kings tells us, it tells us Jonah's the prophet, and it confirms it by giving us an example of his prophetic word coming true. Jonah's a prophet. As we look at this literary construction in the rest of the Old Testament, right? And the word of the Lord came to whoever, to Isaiah, to Ezekiel, to, to Naaman, to whoever, to whatever prophet. And the word of the Lord came to him. The natural thing that happens next is that prophet speaks the word of the Lord to the intended audience. See, the prophet's job is he is, he is a conduit of God's word. He, is, he receives the word of God, and then he gives it to the people who God intends to hear it. That's the prophet's job. That's Jonah's job. We know that Jonah has been doing his job from 2 Kings. So when we read in Jonah 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, we can assume, we know what's coming. We're going to hear the word of the Lord that's given to Jonah. And then Jonah, because he's a prophet, he's going to go and deliver the word of God. Because that is what prophets do. That's what they do. So let's keep reading. We all know the story, though, don't we? No, that's not what happens. But we'll keep reading anyway. In verse 2, this is the word of the Lord that he's supposed to give. God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. This is our first point. God pursues sinners. What, what does that phrase, for their evil has come up, how did he say it exactly? He said, their evil has come up before me. Does that jog anything in your mind? Does that remind you of anything, maybe from the book of Genesis? Maybe Sodom and Gomorrah, when the Lord comes to Abraham and said, hey, the, the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah has, has risen up to me and I've come down to, to see if it's true. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? 
They were obliterated. No warning to them. They were destroyed. So when I, when I read this, when I, when I hear this, when we see this, it takes us back to that. This is great evil from the city of Nineveh. But, but how great? How, like how bad really was Nineveh? VeggieTales tells us they hit each other with fish. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. But it was much worse than that. I'm just going to look around the room. I just want to see. Okay. Just got to get an idea of the age group that's in the room. And I understand that there's probably smaller kids even watching on TV. Um, so I'm going to ask. I'm going to be a little bit cloaked in how I say it if I can. I'll let you guys fill in the blanks, all right? Are you ready for how bad Nineveh was? This is one of the things. They would fillet their enemies hang the skins on the wall of the city and brag about it. These were brutal, ruthless people. No regard for the dignity of human life. Actively mutilating image bearers of God. And God in his abundant grace and mercy, was sending a prophet to them. God was reaching out and pursuing the sinners that were Nineveh. God, even though, even though they were such a wicked and brutal people, God was coming for them in a gracious way. You say, well, Andrew, God was just going to say, hey, destruction's coming, right? That's not, that's not a real offering. Well, we know if we flip ahead, and actually in my Bible, it's just look over on the next page in, in, uh, in Jonah 4.2. Jonah knows, he knows that by proclaiming this warning to Nineveh, that God will be willing to forgive them. Jonah knows this is not just a, this is not a go to Nineveh and proclaim the judgment. That would be wonderful news. Nineveh was, was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was a brutal enemy of Israel. Vicious enemy. Later on, 100 years later, God uses Assyria to wipe out Israel and to haul them off, right? Assyria is a, a, a mortal enemy of Israel. If Jonah was going to proclaim death, he would have been excited. But we know that when God proclaims a warning, he's offering grace. God is offering grace to this wicked and vile nation. That's Nineveh. Nineveh is about 750 miles or so from Israel, give or take my miscalculations with kilometers. That's about from here to Central Florida, just to get an idea, right? Central Florida is about 750 miles. That's a little ways away. I wouldn't want to walk there. But God was pursuing these sinners. Our next point. Like, man, this is great. He flies through the points. I do, except for this one. God pursues relentlessly. Let's look and see how God pursues relentlessly, starting in verse... Three. 
So far we have the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. The prophet hears the word of the Lord. The job of the prophet is to go and deliver the word of the Lord. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah, the only reason to go to Joppa, that was a seafaring city, the only reason to go to Joppa is to get on a ship. That's all they've got are ships. And the only reason for Jonah to get on a ship is to run away from the Lord. This was active. This was premeditated. This wasn't, this wasn't, oh, I missed my exit, God. I guess I won't talk to the Ninevites. Right? Nineveh is in the opposite direction, in the middle of a desert. You don't need a ship to get to Nineveh. But Jonah goes in the opposite direction. Have, has God ever asked you to do something difficult? And you said, no, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in the opposite direction, God. Have you ever blatantly disobeyed God? Just think about it for a moment. We're going to come back to that. Jonah goes in the opposite direction. And here's the thing that I want, to, that I want to bring out, that I want us to see in Jonah 1. There's this contrast of what should happen and then what Jonah does. And then there's always the surprise of what God does. And then, and then still, Jonah doesn't do what should happen. So he goes to Tarshish. Tarshish, um, scholars' best guess is that it's in Spain. It's about 3,000 miles, 2,500 to 3,000 miles away from Israel in the opposite direction. To give an idea, if central Florida is where Nineveh is, Tarshish would be in Alaska. Completely the opposite direction. Really far away. This is intentional disobedience of the, God, of the Lord. But then let's look at verse 4. But the Lord. So we get this counter, right? First it's Jonah's supposed to hear, but Jonah does this. Now it's, now it's, but the Lord responds. Let's see the Lord's response. He hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Notice verse 5, then the mariners were afraid. We've got we to talk about these mariners for a minute. If you sail to Tarshish, if you sail through the Mediterranean Sea to Spain, do you remember what's on the other side of Spain? It's the Atlantic Ocean. These guys are not your Sea of Galilee fishermen. These guys are not like, hey, let's, let's go down to the local pond and put our boat in and try and get some, try and get some fish. These guys, these guys are the real deal. These guys are the, the hardcore seafaring fellows of the day. These guys, are, these guys are the real deal. And the storm that the Lord cast on them was so much that these guys were afraid. They were so afraid, they began hurling the cargo into the sea to lighten the load. They knew, they knew that they were dead men. The only reason to get rid of the cargo, the only reason to throw away the reason you're going, right? You go from Joppa to Tarshish to carry cargo. That's how you get paid. The only reason to get rid of that is to save your own life. They're hurling it. Remember that word, hurl. 
They're hurling it into the sea. They're afraid. They're terrified. But Jonah, is Jonah afraid? No. But Jonah went below deck to the inner part of the boat and was fast asleep. Jonah's not responding. The way you should respond in this situation. What is it? What is it? About a life-threatening storm that does not scare Jonah. Why isn't why isn't he afraid of a life-threatening storm? Jonah's fast asleep. The captain goes down, they find him. He's like, What are you doing, oh sleeper? Get up, call out to your God. A couple things about the sea, the, the, the mariners. They are polytheistic, right? They believe in multiple gods. Kind of the, the general religion in that area at that time was polytheism. Everybody believed in their own local deity. If we go to war, if Mike Boslov and I go to war, and I'm polytheistic, I think that it's actually my God fighting against his God. And if his God beats me, well, his God was stronger, and uh, maybe I should submit to his God also. I'm certainly going to submit to his God when I go to his land. Because his God is the land, the God of that territory, right? So they're polytheistic. It's all territorial. So these seafarers, these mariners, they're like, Jonah, wake up, call out to your God. Maybe he can help us. And they cast lots, and they find out that Jonah's the problem. And now they start to ask questions. They said to him, tell us, this is verse 8, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Four questions. They want to know what's going on. They know there's a problem. They know it's divine. They want to know what's going on. Look at Joseph's answer, Jonah's answer. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Does he fear the Lord, the God of heaven? Not, not this moment. Certainly not in his actions. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. He made the sea and the dry land. Remember, these mariners, they come from a worldview where gods are territorial. And Jonah just said, I angered the God who made both the sea and the dry ground. These guys are like, oh my goodness, this is really bad. Even if we get back to land, we're dead. Like there is no hope. So like, tell us what to do. What do we do, Jonah? Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me. Remember that word? That's what they did to the cargo. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Well, have you ever thought about what Jonah's options were? Have you ever thought about that? Is the sea Jonah's only option? Did God say, Jonah, because you're not going to Tarshish, uh, you, have to, you have to suffer a watery death? Not at all. God said, go to Tarshish. Not go to Tarshish. Go to Nineveh. That was close. He said, go to Nineveh. What would have happened if Jonah would have said, God, I surrender. I repent. What would have happened if Jonah would have said to the mariners, hey, guys, uh, this is my fault. Turn the boat around and the sea will stop. Take me back to land. I promise to go to Nineveh. 
I will do my duty. I will do what I'm supposed to do. Well, maybe that was an option, maybe not. But what we know, what we know is that God's heart for Jonah was that Jonah would go and do what God told him to do. God wanted obedience from Jonah. And Jonah would rather die than obey the Lord. He wasn't afraid of the sea. He was sleeping during this life-threatening storm, a storm that made the most seasoned sailors afraid. Jonah slept through it because he was determined not to obey God. He was determined to do it his own way. He was determined to decide who God extended grace to and who God did not extend grace to. Jonah was determined to disobey the Lord. And he would rather die than obey. What a, what a hard place for a man's heart to get. What a difficult spot to be so hard-hearted. You would rather die than submit to the Lord. I would imagine that, that most of us have, have probably been in a situation where you really had to wrestle with, am I going to submit to God or not? Right? Sometimes that's played out with, well, I told a lie at work, and now i got to go confess to my boss that I lied to him. And it's embarrassing. And we wrestle with it for a while. Like, oh, I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. I don't want to do it. Or sometimes it's, it's I, I cheated the tax man. And now i got to go back and tell the IRS that I've been stealing from them for a while. I don't want to do it. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. And we're really wrestling with whether or not we're going to submit to the Lord in that. Loved ones, the question, the question is not so much about what the action is. It's, it's about where is your heart? Where is my heart when the Lord tells me to do something difficult? Where is my heart? Am I going to submit to Scripture when my life doesn't line up with it? Am I going to submit to Scripture whenever, whenever I let my temper get away from me and I'm angry at my family and I yell at my two-year-old who's killing chickens? It hasn't got quite that far yet. But am I going to submit to Scripture whenever, whenever uh, Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in a gentle and understanding way? Or am I going to continue my anger and my rage? Am I going to continue to exasperate my children as a father and demand way too much of them? even though Scripture clearly says do not exasperate your children? Am I going to, am I going to submit to Scripture when it says, when it says that, that I should only be satisfied by my wife? Or am I going to continue looking outside of God's design? Am I going to keep my heart hard? Am I going to submit to Scripture when it says that I should forgive, like we heard a couple weeks ago, because Christ forgave us so much more of an offense than any human could ever offend. Or do I store up bitterness in my heart? Am I going to submit my heart to the Lord? 
We see in Jonah 1 that Jonah would rather die than submit to the Lord. God, protect us. Protect us from being that hard-hearted. But you know what? This story is not actually about Jonah. It's about God. It's about God's relentless pursuit. Why did God keep pursuing Jonah? Why did God even send the storm? Why didn't he just send an instant storm and smite him from the world like he did Sodom and Gomorrah? Why didn't God just blow up the ship? It's because God relentlessly pursues. And when God gets his sights on you, he won't take them off. He comes and he comes and he comes after you. God will not be deterred. The sailors were like, this is, this is too much, Jonah. We're not going to throw you into the water. We can't do that. Even though these guys were not God-fearers, even though these guys were hardened sailors, they knew, they knew that human life was precious and that shedding innocent blood was a major problem. So like, no. So they tried to row to shore, but it didn't work. The storm got worse, and finally they realized... The only way is to throw Jonah into the water. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from raging. It's really interesting to me what the men did next. They didn't pull Jonah back up out of the water. It doesn't say that they looked for him. They knew that they were killing Jonah. Jonah knew that they were killing Jonah. For all practical purposes, everyone on that boat knew that this was a death sentence for Jonah. Jonah would rather die than submit to the Lord. Look at what the, look at what the, what the sailors did after, they, after the sea stopped. In verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. They knew it was God that stopped the sea. They knew it was God that brought the, brought the storm and that stopped it. They knew, they knew that Jonah was at fault. He told them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. See, see, Jonah wasn't just disobeying God. He was trying to renounce his faith. He was trying to leave everything. And ultimately, he thought he succeeded. But you know what? Here's the crazy thing. God relentlessly pursues sinners. The Ninevites are not the only sinners in the story. Jonah is a sinner. Jonah is a sinner who God pursues relentlessly. For all practical purposes, Jonah was dead. He was sinking to the bottom of the sea. If you read chapter 2, it, it's fairly obvious that Jonah thought he was dying. Right? The language there, the, the 
uh, what's he say? Uh, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, you cast me in the deep to the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me, right? Jonah's drowning. He's dying. But 17. Verse 17. This is the craziest part of the whole story for me. Even though Jonah would rather die than submit to the Lord, the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. God's pursuit doesn't fail. Jonah was like, God, I'm done. I'm out. I don't want you to pursue me anymore. Jonah knew that once he was dead, God wouldn't pursue him. Because death is the ultimate, the ultimate end of being able to repent. The ultimate end of being able to submit to God. As long as we have breath, we can turn to the Lord. As long as we have breath, our hearts can be softened. Jonah knew that as soon as he died, it was over. But God had other plans. God is relentless. God's plans are not thwarted. God sent a provision and saved Jonah. We see here very clearly that God's pursuit does not depend on the human that's being pursued. But we know that God's pursuit is not eternal. Loved ones, it is great, it is relentless, but it's not eternal. This is such an important point for us Americans to hear. Right? If you're an American, you need to hear this. We are so used to getting what we want. We are so used to softness. What's the right word there? Entitlement? We're, we're so used to consequences not being real. But it's easy for us to just assume that I can get right with God tomorrow. I'll get right with them tomorrow. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna live my life now. I'm gonna enjoy my sin now. And and when I'm older, when I grow up, when I've when I've sown my wild oats, when I've done whatever I'm gonna do, uh, I just gotta get this selfishness out of me. I just gotta get this. We think that there's tomorrow. I think it's worse for Americans because we don't see that instant consequence of, of sin very often. But loved ones, we are not promised tomorrow. As David says in Psalm 95, repent for today. Today is the day of repentance. As we read in the passage earlier today, as Jim read in 2 Peter, the day of the Lord is coming. Have you thought about what the day of the Lord means? That means there's no more chance for repentance. That means when, when the Lord comes back, when Jesus comes back, it's over. If, you, if you've repented, if you're with the Lord, great. If you're not with the Lord, you don't have any more chances. And that day is going to come like a thief in the night. We don't know when that's going to happen. Loved ones, we don't know when we're going to die. 
Jonah thought he was going to die when they threw him off the boat. But God didn't let that happen. We don't know if we're going to make it home today. Today is the day to soften your heart to the Lord. Today is the day. If you are, if you are wrestling with, with, do I follow God or not? Do I submit to the Lord or not? Do I give up this secret sin or not? Do I, do I submit my whole will to God or do I just say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relegate you to this part of my life, but I'm going to live this part of my life my own way. It, today, loved ones, today is the day. This is the chance to repent. We are not guaranteed another chance. Don't presume upon the Lord's relentlessness. Don't say, well, God, God will pursue me tomorrow. He pursued Jonah. He pursued Nineveh. Pursuing me. That's, that's a tall gamble. Here's the, other, here's the other thing that we learn from this. God extends his mercy. He extends his compassion. He extends the opportunity to surrender to even the vilest offenders. So maybe, maybe you're not wrestling with, ah, I don't know if I'm going to repent or not. I don't know if I'm going to submit or not. Maybe, maybe where you're at is, Andrew, if you only knew what I had done, if you had only, if you only knew the sin that I harbor in my heart, if you only knew the wicked things Most likely, it's not more wicked than what Nineveh did. Most likely, your, your two-faced life, your I'm going to be good here, but really this is where I'm at, is not worse than Jonah. Most likely. That's, that's good news. If God can save Nineveh, if God can offer forgiveness to Nineveh, if God can offer forgiveness to Jonah, and he can offer forgiveness to you. It's not too late. If you are still alive, you still have a chance to turn to the Lord. He, he died for you. He loves you. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's not about what we do or don't do. It's, it's about what God did and what he does. One of the things, it was so nice to hear those testimonies this morning. Thank you guys for sharing that. Um, I, got to, I got to catch up with a friend last weekend. We went up to a conference, and um, it's so much fun seeing how God uses this guy. His name's John. And uh, I, I share his story only because he shares it openly and publicly. Uh, John grew up in the inner city, and uh, he got incarcerated in his late teens because he and some friends were robbing a house. I don't know what the technical term is, burglarizing, thieving, I don't know. They were in a house to take stuff. And uh, the homeowner was killed in the altercation. That was about 20 years ago. 
son, by God's grace, found the Lord. Well, God reached out to him and offered his grace and all that while John was in prison. I, I still don't know how. I'm not even sure if John knows how. John's not in prison anymore. He didn't escape. The, the system let him out. No, I, I don't, maybe I should ask him why. John's a pastor now on the west side of Chicago. And the, the thing about, about John that just, I, I don't know if it encourages me maybe, is the right word, is when he tells the story, he, says, he said, uh, a few years ago I was talking to him about it, he said, Andrew, he was, I wish that a man didn't have to die before I would be soft enough to, to hear Jesus' call. He's like, I wish it wouldn't have taken a human's life to get me there. He goes, I know God's, God's in control. I know God orchestrates everything. He uses some of these wicked, evil things for our good. He goes, but man, I just, I just wish that God would have gotten a hold of me before. Because God is relentless in his pursuit of us. There's nothing that God won't forgive, but there is a time when he won't forgive. Do not soften your hearts after it's too late. Today is the day for repentance, right? We're not promised the chances Jonah got. Nineveh was only given 40 days. Jonah was given a lot of days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that our salvation does not depend on what we do. Thank you for relentlessly pursuing us even though we are wicked sinners with hard hearts. God, I ask that you would soften our hearts today, Lord. God, if there are there are things that we are holding on to, if there are things that we are resisting you in, God, please soften our hearts today while we still have a chance. Help us to lean into you, God, and to lean into your forgiveness. In your name we pray. Amen.